0: You're listening to audio from the town center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good news of Jesus. A little tagline. Good news of Jesus. Does anyone know? Okay, I'm not going to do that. The Greek for good news or gospel is evangelion. Okay, might sound a little familiar. What are some words we get from that? evangelist, evangelical, evangelized. That's delivering the good news. Now the word gospel is not brand new. When, 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 when the gospel writers were writing their gospels, it was, that was not a new word. They didn't invent that word. There was actually a context for that word. And usually when the phrase gospel or good news was used, it was usually pronouncing a king. It was saying, "Hey, this king has showed up. You better prepare yourself." Or, "This king has shown up. Isn't it great? Everything's about to change." So, evangelion or gospel or good news was not it was not first first of all applied to Jesus. It was something that people would understand. It was like the, the the medieval version of "Hear ye, hear ye," or the space jam version of "Y'all ready for this?" It's that kind of idea. Dun, 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 dun. So. Uh, For instance, let's just give a for instance. Does anyone know who this handsome fellow is? Not the little one. (laughs) Caesar. Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavian, a.k.a. Octavian. He ruled the Roman Empire from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. Hey, a really important event happened in the middle of those times. From 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. And he was thought to be a leader sent by the gods. Sent by the gods of, Roman, of Rome. And the language around his birth or reflecting on his birth sounds very similar to a lot of things that we read about Jesus. That his birth was the beginning of an era. The beginning of good news to all who would hear it. And it's interesting. I'd like to read to you something that was, ri- that was written just a few years before Jesus was born. It says this. This is a pronouncement during the time of... Augustus, since Providence, a God of Rome, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, all who come after us, that he might end war and arrange all that. sounds a lot like uh, the prophets we look at in Isaiah about, about our savior ending war. Um, And arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipation. So he was a good looking dude, apparently. And we don't mind the way he looked. Surpassing all previous benefactors. And not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. Meaning nobody will come after him that can do anything better than he's done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus, now he's called a god, was the beginning of the good tidings evangelion, for the world that came by reason of him. So this was written on a calendar. The whole idea was that we think, this is the argument of, this, of what was being sent out, we think we should change all of history to be based on his birth. All calendars should change to be based on the birth of Augustus. They wrote that in A.D. A.D. doesn't stand for Augustus, by the way. That's what this was supposed to be pronouncing. And this kind of talk was not uncommon. Often a different emperor would come and they would say, we should change uh, our calendars from the birth of this emperor. Augustus was given a lot of that kind of attention. When the disciples of Jesus and the gospel writers speak of a gospel, they are using understandable language of the day. The language of royal proclamation. Which would be surprising when you're talking about a backwoods Nazarene prophet. But what they are saying when they say gospel is a king has come and you better pay attention. A king has come and you better, and he, by the way, he's, he's king over and above all other kings. Now imagine why this is good news to Jewish people living under Roman rule. Living under the rule of, well it would have been after Augustus, but the many other Roman rulers. Imagine if you will. Imagine. A time of uncertainty where you don't know what the next day is going to look like. Where the news is changing all the time. You don't know what the next school year is going to look like because they're changing things all the time. Where some question the political leaders of their day. Where the economy and gas prices and diseases cause all sorts of questions. And then to hear, listen, here's a king who is ultimately over every other sovereign. Here is a king who is sovereign over all of history, all political and social and physical, and the spiritual world as well. This is the true gospel. This is that kind of gospel. So prepare yourself because this king has come. You think Augustus has some titles? Nothing compared to the titles that we're about to shower on the Christ the firstborn of all creation, the resurrected one, the one who holds all of creation in his hands. Move over Augustus. Move over empire. Here is the gospel. Here is the good news. Here is the great news, and it will not be ignored. That is important. If this gospel is true, it cannot be ignored. And so one of the big things I want us to walk away with today uh, and understand as we, as we walk through this series, is that this story, if it is true, cannot be ignored. It is not something we just give lip service through. The only proper response to the gospel of Jesus is an animated, lively discipleship. Now, Mark is one of four gospels. Why are there four gospels? Any, any thoughts on that? Why might there be four different versions of this story? Because well, it's a really good story. What else? Any ideas? Perspective. Yeah, great. Thanks, Braden. A different audience. Great. You guys have been doing homework. As guys are students of the Word. Fantastic. When we look at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has characteristics that show it's probably written to a Jewish audience, showing that Jesus is the, the long-awaited Messiah. Whenever we say Christ, that's what we're saying. When they call Jesus the Christ, they're saying he is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And so when Jewish people think Messiah, they're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, this is is God speaking to to, uh, the devil. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You will do some damage, but ultimately he will crush your head. And so all throughout Jewish history, the people of Israel were waiting for this to happen. So what Genesis tells us, that immediately following the entrance of sin and the, the, the children of sin, guilt and shame, into the world, God said, there will be a time when my chosen one, my Messiah, my Christ, will crush evil once and for all. That's why when Matthew starts his gospel, he says this. He says in Matthew chapter one, verse one, he starts, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. The part where all of us sit down and go, I am, this is the year I'm going to read the Bible. This is it. I'm going to read, and the father, and that, Why? Why go through all of this? Because the Jewish audience, this mattered to them. Because this would help them go all the way back to where God first started making his promises of a Messiah, of a chosen one. So Matthew starts out that way. It's a chapter we would be tempted to skip and Jews would be paying very close attention to. He starts with the biggest names in Judaism. He's saying God is doing something in Jesus that he started with Abraham, with with Jacob, with Isaac. Something along the lines of King David. Something God had been promising. The, the, The gospel of John seems to have a Greek audience. He uses language of the eternal logos, the eternal word talks about light shining in darkness. These are Greek philosophical ideas of eternal light shining into our darkness, of eternal wisdom, the eternal word coming into reality. In the person of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke seems to be seems to be writing, as many first century and second century and third century and all the way till now Christians would write to those who are outside of the faith but wondering about what it's really all about. Hearing story after story after story from different people, different people. Sometimes I'm not all lining up and saying, "Okay, I just want an accurate account." Someone with wisdom, someone who will do the homework. Have there been any of that these days? Where can I find the real information? I hear this side strong argument. I hear this side strong argument. Where can I get to the, the the original data and come to some conclusions? That's what Luke is doing. He's saying, let me let me go do all the investigation. Let me go ask all the questions. And so as a doctor and a historian, he goes and asks all the questions. I mean, we've all had that experience of especially around Easter or Christmas when we're at the checkout at Safeway and we see Newsweek and we see Time magazine and life, and all of a sudden they're all interested in Jesus. Right, we see all the different magazines pop, or in, your, or in your school, and we see magazines like this. I think I got shots there of the different kind of magazines you see. No? So we'll see, the, who do you say that I am? And they'll get people like Dan Brown and Ann Rice to answer those important questions, or like I don't know Elijah, uh, Elijah Wood, or they just get different people from all sorts of other areas just to, or they'll ask the women on the View, what is, who do they think Jesus is? And then we'll, we'll write that down. And then, if, oh, that's not, that's not Jesus. That, he looks like Jesus, but that's not Jesus. So, so Luke chapter 1, he, he sounds very much like a historian who's trying to give the right kind of information. Can we go to the, the, the Luke text there? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." So Luke has gone traveling and asking questions. He traveled with Paul, and he's trying to figure out the exact story so he can pass it on to a Roman, most likely a Roman official. And guys, I would give you the same prescription to clear up misconceptions you might have about Jesus. Go to the source. Don't just listen to podcasts. Don't just read commentaries. Go to the source. Sit in community and talk with others about what we read in the text don't just do, do guesswork, because many are out to malign the name of Jesus, so we must return to what he said and what he did. And that's where we get to the Gospel of Mark, because the Gospel of Mark is doing something different than the other three. He seems to be out to challenge his readers to a deeper understanding of discipleship. Prepare the way for the Lord. He's calling on uh, an understanding that, that the only proper response to Jesus is an animated, lively, lived out discipleship. Mark calls his readers to go beyond simple verbal agreement with the story of Jesus and toward an all in discipleship, come what may. And so it's a different audience. Uh, many scholars think that Mark was probably writing to the church in Rome. Believers in Rome, living in Rome, they would have been in a a constant push from the empire to blend in. A constant push of, of, of the culture. Culture was birthed in Rome. Everything that would happen in the Roman Empire, all the news that was allowed to go out, the, 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 the symbolism and the ideologies, all were centered in Rome and pushed out from there. For Christians who lived in Rome, that, that constant push to blend in and conform would have been in front of them at all times. Worshiping whatever God you were told to and whichever God kind of served your purpose for the moment and then move on. Feed whatever desire you want. The only thing you must do is give your allegiance to Caesar. Other than that, live your life however you want. And by the way, to be a Roman, to live in Rome made you better than everyone else. So if you have two cards to play in the Roman Empire, one is I follow a suffering king or I'm a Roman citizen and all that comes with that, most people are going to be using that fine executive gold-plated card before they start playing their Jesus card. And what Mark is saying is, if you think that you can be a disciple of Jesus and just say, yeah, I agree with those factually and not actually live it out as disciple, you are missing the point of the gospel. He's, he's writing this to people who've been told that, that they have their own final word on morality for themselves, that they are the center of the universe, and that the universe should actually adjust to them and their desires. It's, so if that's the case, then it seems Mark is writing to you and I as well, because that is what you and I hear each day. This is written to you and I types. Today, the Internet is Rome. Or the Internet is definitely the tool of Rome. Proclaiming who we are, telling us how we ought to live, when we ought to be ashamed and when we ought to feel really good about ourselves. Commercialism and hedonism, they are the message of Rome, and they push on you and I every day. Rome is powerful, but what Mark is trying to say is the kingdom of God is far more powerful. The kingdom of God, come what may, is far more powerful. If you question that, if you wonder, is the church... Are the disciples of a suffering servant more powerful than Rome? I invite you to visit Rome today. You will visit tombs with emperors in them, and you'll look at the skyline, and you will see crosses across the entire skyline. The tool that was once used to suppress Christians is now the symbol held above every building. And as one pastor has said, and I've, I've quoted before, these days we name our kids after those who followed Jesus, Peter, Paul, Timothy, and we name our dogs, Caesar and Nero, But when it comes to the power of of Rome and its prevalence in our lives, it is very real. And so the gospel of Mark is is to say, listen, if if this is who you follow, this is how you ought to follow. So what kind of gospel should be written that would push back on a Christianity that thinks that it can give lip service to Jesus and then just go on living with our Roman gold-plated card? that's been tempted to claim Roman citizenship and and Roman comfort and and paper-thin discipleship that that will produce? Well, the Gospel of Mark is the response to all of that. Do you want to know how to understand your life? Well, Well, Mark would say the story of the world, our personal story, our community's story is most clearly understood through a careful, direct look at the person, the work, and the life Of Jesus Christ. Our story makes sense because of his story. So how do we get this story, this gospel of Mark? Well, for years it was argued that all the gospels were written centuries even after the happenings that they describe. That after Jesus of Nazareth uh, died and stayed there, uh, some would say, that uh, over the years as they tried to grow this faith, they embellished stories and made things sound better than they were. Those are obviously people who have not read the Gospels, <laughs> as we'll see in a moment. Oh, and especially in, the, in the, the previous century, the evidence piled up, piled up, piled up, that the, not only the Gospel of Mark, but the other Gospels were written within a decade or two of the actual events that took place. There is piles of evidence to suggest that. Now, one of the great arguments that I've kind of hinted at towards the authenticity of the gospel accounts is that usually leaders of religions that they create are portrayed as kind of having it all together. That is not the case in the gospels. If we look at Peter, the head of the early church, he is not someone you would pick as a leader. I would not pick him. As a leader, he is messed up. He loves Jesus. He rejects Jesus. He understands grace. He ignores grace. He is brave. He's a coward. He seems to understand, and then he completely misses the point. This could also just be my biography. These are people, Peter and and others who were following Jesus, these disciples, they were usually people that you would keep out of the record of the beginning of a new faith. Or you would drastically change the way you portray them. But that does not happen in the Gospels, Peter and the others are portrayed as shallow, as stubborn, as weak disciples. And that points to the authenticity of the account. Looking at Jesus himself, he said stuff that was really hard to take. Wouldn't it be nice if the Gospels read a little cleaner than they do? That is like, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Wouldn't that be nice? Rather than, yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. What? What did you just say? and then having to unpack that in community and try to figure out what Jesus is asking of us. Instead, we're invited to take Jesus as he is. Confusing sometimes. Shaking things up at times. Saying things that would make crowds of people turn and go, we we cannot be a part of that. It happened then, and it still happens today. Mark, who penned the gospel, most likely was... Who we, who we read about in Scripture was John Mark. And, and church tradition has suggested this uh, throughout the history of the church, that he was a guy named John Mark. We read about him in Acts 12 to 15. He traveled with Paul for a while. Um, uh, Paul mentions him in Colossians 4.10. Uh, uh, Papias, who was a church leader in 130 A.D., he wrote that John Mark wrote accurately all that Peter remembered. So, he, so John Mark actually hung out with Peter. He was a friend with Peter, and he was his secretary. He would write down things that Peter would say. What's interesting is that whenever we read, and you will see this as we read through the gospel of Mark, and you can notice it as you read ahead, like good students of the word, as you read ahead in the gospel, that Mark's gospel, nothing happens in the gospel that happens without, Jesus, without Peter present. All the events that take place, Peter's there. Which means that most likely the entire gospel of Mark is an eyewitness account of Peter. It's quite interesting the memories of a disciple of Jesus who amid uh, his own mistakes and his dangers and persecution, life threats, decided to pledge his life to Jesus. It's an important account. It seems this guy had had a story to tell and you and I should probably listen because we can look at all the categories and all the critiques of Peter and I'm going to be like, check, 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 yes. I'm brave one day. I I, I will disassociate myself another day. I'll be loud one day and boisterous, and I'll be very quiet on other days. There's something here that describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That describes what are we saying yes to? Because I tell you, over these next 21 weeks, we're going to walk through some stuff that's, a, that's hard to digest, that's difficult to take. What are we saying yes to? So there's some characteristics, and we'll, we'll, we'll end with, with some of these. There's some characteristics that I think that are very important for us to notice. And, and we'll see these coming up over and over and over as we go through uh, the gospel of Mark together. The first thing is this theme of discipleship. And that, that's what we're going to be sitting on th- so much. That's the main theme in Mark. But much of what we, we, we concentrate on, in when you and I read Scripture, we often try to figure out how we ought to walk as Christians by reading Paul. Or reading Peter? Or how do we come up with great leaders in the church? We read Timothy. All all works inspired by the Spirit of God, and they ought to be read and studied. But how often do we look at the, because when many of you, some of you teach English, perhaps, but when we look at a plot line or we learn about characters in a novel, it's not only what they say, it's also what they do, that tells us about their heart, and tells us about their character. That's what the gospel of Mark is great at. Do we want to know what it means to follow Jesus and be like Jesus? Then we look at the gospel of Mark, and we look at his actions in the gospel of Mark. There's no room in the gospel of Mark for, for Jesus never says, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Jesus says, do as I do. That's what it means to follow him. There's an implication that the Spirit of God will be doing a work in us if we are Christ followers. Galatians 5, to 23 we know it well. The fruit of the Spirit, the work that the Spirit does in us produces love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We, we get confused because we hear effort and we go, well, that can't be the gospel. Because the gospel is free. The good news of the gospel is free. But that's just because we get the order wrong. The gospel is not earned, but it is acted out. It's not earned, but the gospel must be acted out. Or or scripture would question the authenticity of our discipleship. Forgiveness is free. God's mercy and grace are offered to all. I don't care how you came in here. God freely offers you his grace and his forgiveness. Doesn't matter how you come. But the idea of discipleship without an animated allegiance is a powerless discipleship. You will not sense the power of the Spirit working in us if we decide our discipleship does not have to follow the actions of Christ. And so what we see in, in, in part of Mark's gospel is this invitation to animated discipleship, and it's characterized by humility. And you see the disciples battling with this all the time. What does it mean to be a disciple and to be humble? In Mark 10, when the disciples are trying to to play out an earthly understanding of following a leader, they're they're arguing about who's going to be first in Jesus' eyes and in the kingdom. And in Mark 10, verse 43 to 45, he said, He says, don't be like the people of the world, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Mark, we observe a Savior who actively sacrificed and invited us to follow the same path. Mark is, is posing the question throughout the gospel account. If this is how Jesus lived and sacrificed, what does it look like to follow him? That's the question for us. Well, now, the image that we have on our, uh, on our branding for this series, this is what's in the background. I want you to notice that because every time you see the branding, I want you to think about this. This is a, a shot of the Judean desert. You can see in the background, there's kind of this hazy city that we're on our way to. Can't really see it with clarity, but we do see that there's a path that gets there. The way we get there through desert, the way we get there through difficulty and, and being tired is to follow the path that has been tread for us. That is what the Gospel of Mark is inviting us to. To look to Jesus, the, the creator and the Perfector of our faith, and say, Come what may, I will follow the path that you have tread for me, because I know where it leads. Don't follow all the different goat paths that go off in all the different directions. There's plenty of those, and they promise a lot. But there's one that has been tread, and it's been tread for 2,000 years by those who followed him, who lead, as Augustus, uh, uh, sorry, Augustine, don't mess those two up. (laughs) St. Augustine would say, lead to the city of God. The second thing I want us to pay attention to in this gospel is what some would call, and this is very interesting, the messianic secret. The messianic secret. If you've studied Mark before, you know what I'm talking about. Throughout the, the proclamation of Mark regarding King Jesus, there's this ongoing request by Jesus for people not to talk about him. He'll do something great. They'll be pumped. I mean, this is, this is what we would be so pumped about today. I mean, if someone was healed here today, we would have them up here next week giving a testimony. They would be in our media department at our church, being filmed this week, and we would get it all, and Jesus would say, "Calm down, calm down." There, and and we'll unpack why He does this, but there are several times. So in chapter one already, He heals a leper in Mark one, in verse forty-four. He says to him, "See that you say nothing to anyone." But I mean, isn't this the stuff that you would want to promote? See, but go show yourself to the priest, offer your cleansing. Uh, offer, sorry, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Of course, the man ignores his request and go tell everybody. <laughs> chapter 3, an unclean spirit. Rec- these unclean spirits are recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. And, he, and, and Jesus strictly orders them not to make him known. We might think of some obvious reasons why he doesn't want unclean or evil spirits proclaiming who he is. In chapter 5, after bringing a girl back to life, he speaks to the crowd that witnessed it. And he, and he strictly charged them, again, that word strictly, that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Well, that's nice. And as we go throughout the gospel, this happens over and over. Jesus is saying, keep it to yourself. Some scholars have labeled Mark the ungospel. <laughs> keep it, don't go out, just keep it to yourself. He keeps telling people that. And you, you wonder if, if this is all part of Mark's plan. To, to suggest that discipleship is more than just proclamation that discipleship is more than just get out there and just talk about it that talk is is easy and talk is cheap. My gospel, my kingdom is one of service and hospitality to the marginalized. And we'll see that throughout. And if you want to proclaim the gospel, we want a world that looks in on the community I've created and go, what is this humility? What is this service? What is this kenosis, which you've heard me talk about? This, this giving up of your rights to serve others. You want to see the gospel move forward? That's what will do it. Let your life animate the gospel. That is how the gospel will move forward. And that leads me to the last thing, because talk about about action. What I wanted to notice uh, in this gospel is it's full of immediacy. And and I don't mean that it simply has, I don't mean that word immediacy as a description. He literally, Mark uses the word immediately over and over and over in this gospel. Uh, Like over the top. I, I know you, you all read Greek, so you've probably noticed. But he uses the same Greek word for immediately over 47 times. If you were marking this as an English teacher, you'd be like, pick another word. <laughs> It'd be all in red. He uses it 47 times, 11 times, just in chapter 1. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Now, English translators, they read it and they're like, that's going to get done so quick. So why don't we mix it up a little bit? We'll say, and then... Just then, which might flow a little bit better in English, but it takes away the immediacy of what's going on in the gospel. There is an action to this gospel unlike any other gospel. It might be why it's the shorter one too. It's like, <laughs> the, the Greek word Mark uses also has an understanding of doing things properly. Doing what you're supposed to do and not being drawn to the left or to the right. Doing what you're supposed to do. That's also packed into this this word for immediately. God, Jesus is doing God's work without any deterrence. There's There's this momentum. There's an action to it. In fact, Mark's gospel is more about action than it is about teaching. There's less teaching in the gospel of Mark than any other gospel. We are meant to look at the actions of Jesus in this gospel. And we're meant to reflect those in our lives. You get a sense that, that God has broken into our existence in a powerful way when you read the Gospel of Mark. There, there's no nativity scene. There's no meek and mild. There's, you prepare the way. <laughs> the Gospel of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here. So put every other emperor aside because they do not compare to the salvation and the Gospel, the good news, the great news of the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. So prepare the way. Nothing you thought was for sure is for sure anymore. Human existence has been interrupted. And the question is for you and I, as it was for the church in the first century and throughout the history of the church, will we settle for lip service to his gospel or animated discipleship? Because he requires nothing less. What will work look like? What will our family life look like? How will we be disciples in the marketplace? Will our allegiance to Jesus be integrated with the rest of our lives? Because the only proper response to this gospel is fully animated, active discipleship. So that's a background on where we are going to be going and what we're going to be jumping into chapter 1 uh, next week. Now, before I pray and and, and Josh finishes our, our or gives us a song of reflection. We have a gift for you out the back. And I did mention this, and I think we had a social media post, possibly. I'm not sure. This is the Gospel of Mark journal version. You are welcome to take one of these. They're out on a table. You'll see one side has the text that I'm going to be preaching from, and on the right-hand side is blank. There's very faded lines If you just get bored, you can color. But if you actually want to take notes, you can take notes. They are free for you to take. Here's the thing. If you already have a method and something that you take notes in, go ahead and keep doing that. If you do them online, keep doing that. Do not take one of these unless you're going to use it. And what's going to happen is in 21 weeks, I'm going to say hand them in. (laughs) I'm not going to say hand them in. But I am going to say let me see them. And I'm going (laughs) to flip through. And if I see nothing written down or just, you know, pictures of me or nasty things about me or nothing, I'm just going to say you owe me five bucks. <laughs> do not take this unless you are going to use it. We have 50 of them. Um, and like I said, you are welcome to take it. And I would encourage you to take them if you find that that would be, be helpful for you to do that. Let me pray and then let's respond in worship. Guys, It's ex- so excited to be walking through this. Please pray for me. As your pastor, as I study this and try to, to deliver this beautiful gospel in, in bite-sized pieces for us uh, each week. God of grace, I pray that you would do a work uh, in us. I pray that we would not uh, approach a new series just as something new to take on, and then uh, a week down the road, um, the branding kind of gets old, and we're so kind of used to it. I pray that each week, not just here on Sundays, but each week as we read ahead and we try to to digest and reflect on on this gospel, that you would do a work in us through your Spirit. And if we've got these walls that just kind of come up each Sunday that we just kind of pop up for an hour, and like, I don't really want... to to have anything uh, penetrate, I kind of, I'm going on on autopilot right now. If if we come in with that that kind of attitude, I pray by your spirit you would knock it down. You have such a a better flourishing life to offer us, and so we want to be open to that. And God, ultimately, I pray that we would not um, seek um, to study your word just so we can gain head knowledge, but that we would have that, that the knowledge that we gain trickle to our hearts, and it would animate us to live out the sacrificial life that you portrayed and which brought us, bought us our freedom. Thank you for your sacrificial love for us. We thank you for the freedom that you purchased for us. We thank you for our salvation, which is free, but did not come cheap. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.